scripture memory verse tonight, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Anybody else? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. That we have this treasure in earthen vessels that... The excellency? The excellence of the power of God. Maybe. Maybe of God and not of ourselves. Not of us. Second Corinthians four seven. Good job, honey. Anybody else? Second Corinthians four seven. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 4.7 Good job. It actually is really hard the way Paul writes and he has commas and the way he says stuff sometimes it's pretty difficult. Anybody else want to try? Second Corinthians 4.7 For we have this treasure and earthen vessels that the excellence of God that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Second Corinthians four seven. Good job. I think I named it right. <laughs> Good job. Um, and I say the excellency. That's the King James says the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And uh, it's really interesting word <coughs> also. Um, Of course, there's a but there, so there's a contrast. Uh, we have this treasure. Well, what treasure is he talking about? He's talking about the truth, treasure truth. He's talking about the gospel scheme of things, the entire gospel. Now, you can, you can look at it in a lot of different ways. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And obviously, when a person believes, and he talks about that in three... Um, 16, when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Um, and you start to believe the Holy Spirit comes in. So God himself comes and lives in your house and he seals you. And indeed, that treasure is in there. That's, that's the entire treasure uh, that you would want. But now everything you need for life and godliness is now in you. It's now sealed in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the problem is, is a lot of times we are the ones that are afraid. We are the ones that have a lack of faith. We are the ones that are in fear. But everything we need is now in us. This whole treasure of the entire gospel, the power is of God. It's all in you now. You become that earthen vessel. And I, and I was thinking about it. I go, man, it's so amazing because that's the way it all began, too, is when uh, Mary, the Holy Spirit, overshadows her. And God allows his own son to be in the earthen vessel of Mary, to be in this vessel for nine months. Right. And now when the seed is planted in us and we believe now Jesus comes and the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, this treasure is now planted in us. And that's pretty amazing. And God allows us to carry that message. 
And yet at the same time, what does he call us? He calls us an earthen vessel. It's really interesting. Usually when you see vessel, it's talking about your body. It's, it's talking about your body. But, but earthen is a clay, like a clay pot. And, you know, like, like a clay jar, or there's a band called Jars of Clay. This is some of the, the play on this word. It's pottery. I mean, and they're, you know, geologists are digging this stuff up in tells over in the Middle East, and they find all this broken pottery because clay is so fragile. And, and that's what it's saying is that we're the earthen vessel. We're the clay. He's the potter. He shapes us, and this truth is, is put in us. And all it takes is faith to let it out. Faith to let that out. But, but it, as he puts that in us, with the excellence of the power needs to be of him because everybody sees how frail we are. We, we're one breath away from being with him. We are very frail. We, we're not, it's not supposed to be our power. It's not supposed to be that people say, look at them or look how strong they are. Look how tough they are. Look how mean they are. Look how much they can do. But they want, we want God to see, or we want people to see God's power in our lives because it's transforming us. And he actually uses that word up in uh, three uh, eighteen. Now I can't teach three, four, and five. I can't teach the whole book of Corinth. But really, that's what's going on. Is he's talking about all of these things? Actually, in five one, he actually calls it uh, an earthly house instead of an earthly vessel. He says that this earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. So he calls it a tent. He's got other metaphors that he uses to relate to our body. But in this sense, I think the earthen vessel we're really looking at is, is a spiritual term because we do not want to become or to come across as the power. If we're living our life for God, then it looks as if it's all done in our power, then that's works. If it looks as if man could do it, then that's works. It's not God. But God's power needs to be working in us. And he says, so we have it in this treasure, this truth. And really, if you try to back up and find out what this treasure, this truth is, I really think you can hone in on it. I think it's the Spirit. You look back at 4.1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, listen, what ministry? It's the ministration of the Spirit. Because if you go back into chapter 3, you find out that the new covenant is a covenant not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. It, it is the letter that kills, but the Spirit gives life. And, and, and I don't want to, to lose you, but I want you to understand what he's talking about when he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the whole truth of the gospel. It comes from the previous verse. Six is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, you can be saved um, by believing, but, but you're sanctified by following. Listen to me. This is a hard thing to understand. Many people believe and they're saved, uh, but when we, when we begin to be sanctified, it's because we're following God. And there's more to, life, or there's more to our salvation than just believing now, I don't want to lose you, and I said a whole bunch of stuff there, uh, but it's the, it's the ministry of the Spirit that is in us, and that's why I took you from, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, it's the Spirit of God that seals us, and now it's the Spirit's power, and now the Spirit gives you gifts, and as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God, and as you're being led, where are you being led? To follow Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the throne with the Father. And what's the Spirit doing? The Spirit 
is convicting you still even of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit is still comforting you, leading you. He's gifting you. And he's, he's trying to give you the wisdom and the knowledge of who Christ is and what he's doing. And so when we're all putting on that same mind together, being led by the Spirit, we become this body that Christ can be head of. And so he says, and let's just look back, and we'll just make this study a little bit longer. We'll look back at 4.1, therefore, and of course, therefore, you always have to look back what it's there for. So then you have to go to 3, and again, like I said, you find out he's talking about uh, the spirit that gives life. He says in 3.6, it's uh, uh, our sufficiency is from God, 3.5, who also made us sufficient as ministers, that's just the word servant. Some people look at these letters and they go, well, Paul's talking about the ministry that he's got. They look at these letters and they go, Paul's talking about him preaching the gospel. They look at this letter and they go, Paul, no, Paul's talking about all of us as being witnesses. See, because we're all called to be witnesses for Christ. And this is, and what is the witness? The Spirit wants to witness to everything of Jesus. The Spirit wants to take everything and point to Jesus. And everything that Jesus has points to the Father. And that's all the ministry that we have. So when you look at what's going on, that this treasure that is in us is a ministry of the word of God, of the truth of God, of the knowledge of God. And it should all point to the power of God for salvation. And again, he's going to get to it in chapter 5. Look at, uh, don't want to lose you, but these chapters tie together here. When you look at the ministry, since we have this ministry... Let me tell you about it. It's the service of a Christian, especially a teacher, but it's really all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. The office or this ministration is what it's called, like an administration, but it's just ministration. Now look at five. He actually says, oh, where should we start? Let's start in 14. I got to find somewhere or we'd be here all night. If I try to teach three, four, and five, so I don't want to lose you. Listen to me. There's a treasure that's in us. It's the spirit that leads us, that seals us, that guides us. It's the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit that God is using in his ministration to, to, to use us and to go out and be a minister to others so that they can come to salvation. Listen, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. See, because we're, we're, we're right there with Christ, crucified with Christ. And he died for all that those who live, listen, should no longer live for themselves. See, here's the problem. Here's where the depression, here's where all the, the pain, here's where all the things come in. Is when we still try to live for ourselves. Although we've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. But we're still trying to live for ourselves. I'm still trying to do what I want to do. I'm still trying to put me first. But he says, if one died, all died. And, and then he says that we should no longer live for ourselves or themselves. But for him who died. That's who we're living for now. And he's living through us with his spirit. This treasure that's in us, earth, our earthen vessels. Um. But for him who died for them, and yea, or rose from the dead, or rose again, 16, therefore, okay, what's it there for? Because of what we just read, from now on, how long is that? We regard no one according to the flesh. 
Listen, now when we come alive, when the veil is removed, now you and I know that we're spirits that have a body, this earthly tent, a house for a while. We're earthen vessels that, that we're a spirit, though, and we have a spiritual life. And that spirit now is married to us in Christ. And we're not to regard anyone now according to the flesh because we know it's not about a fleshly, carnal, temporal world. It's about an eternity with God or separated from God. See these truths that he's trying to tie together with us? Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, so he wanted to make sure he pointed that out, that Christ was in the flesh. Remember who's saying this? Do you guys remember who's saying this? Paul? Paul? Well, when did he know Christ according to the flesh? Pretty interesting question, huh? So we know that he probably must have, in his youth, maybe seen Christ, heard the talks of Christ. Maybe, maybe he's seen Christ teaching before we ever see him in uh, um, Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen when he's holding the coats. Uh, before he ever appeared on the pages, he must have seen him or known him according to the flesh. Now some could tie this into um, his, after he got saved on the uh, Acts 9, uh, road to Damascus. And then he goes off for three years into Arabia and learns at the feet of Jesus. Many believe that was just through the Spirit teaching him. Now, he might have seen him in the flesh. I don't think so. I think it's probably more, more correct that he was learning. Uh, he had some parchments. He's reading the scriptures. He's spending time with Christ. And through the Spirit, that's what happens in our ministration now. In our, in our age of grace, you know, the Spirit speaks to us, teaches us, guides us, trains us, helps us to understand but then he comes right back to Damascus, and now he's preaching boldly that Jesus is the Christ. Because he's seen it in the Old Testament. Why am I telling you that? Chapter 3 is what he just said. And we're in chapter 5, I know, but he just had that same subject come up in chapter 3, that when you the veil is removed in Christ, now you understand the Old Testament. Now you see that the Old Testament is the foundation. Now you see all the types in the Old Testament, and that's in chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 7 through uh, 16. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It's taken away. So uh, anyway, let's get back to this. So we see this, that, that we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we know Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer, because we know that he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now you're a spiritual man, you're not a temporal man anymore, you're new creation. Old things pass away, behold, all things have become new. Now I believe that's a positional statement. This is who we are in Christ. It's how the Father sees us. That's a positional statement because you know that, all, that, that even, even though you've been renewed in the Spirit, there's things that we're practically walking out and we're learning to do. That our mind can still do things. And my mind still is weak. It's not been made new, but it's being made new. It's a process of sanctification. So I believe it's a positional, if you're in Christ now, you're a new creation. You're, you've been metamorphosed in the spirit. Metamorphosis. You become this new creation. Uh, and old things have passed away. Your sin has been paid for. It's put in the grave. You've, been, uh, you've risen with Christ. 
and all things have become new. It's the newness of life. You've been born again, uh, the Bible says. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself, how? Through Jesus Christ. And what did he do after he gave us Jesus Christ? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we're talking about this treasure that's in us. It's not just that we've been saved, now you don't go to hell. There's a ministry being given to us. It's the only service that's actually in the Bible about what we're supposed to do. That since we've been reconciled, now we've been given the service to go and reconcile others to Christ. And how does it happen in this earthen vessel? It's not of me. It's the gospel message that God puts in us and his power in us that is all fully been supplied with our gifting, with our talents, with our abilities, with this gospel message here. As we draw near to God, we go out and in his power, we tell others. Why? Well, look what he says. It's the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19. That is... He explains what it means that God was in Christ. That's what he was using Christ for, the Messiah, the anointed of God, reconciling the world to himself, not counting or not imputing their trespasses, their sins to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, that be reconciled to God. Well, what does that mean? He give us the word of reconciliation. Here it is. Now then... We are, this is who the church is. We are, you are, you always see collectively who we are as the people of God. What are we? We're ambassadors. Now we are ambassadors in Christ as if Christ, as though God were pleading through us. Think about that for a minute. God is urging, he's begging, he's pleading. Why? Because he wants every person to get saved. He's not willing that all would that any would perish, but all would come to salvation. He doesn't want to waste any of the blood, any of the pain, any of the suffering, anything that Christ went to on the cross. He doesn't want to waste it. He wants everybody to come. Everybody come to my banquet. But since you've refused and you have other things you're doing and you have a field that you want to take care of and look at, you have a horse or a donkey that you haven't dealt with, you have a business, you have whatever it is, okay, I'll invite somebody else to come. Because you have something else that you're doing. You have another ministry, another service, another place that you're going. You're still living your life. Then I'll invite somebody else. That's what God would say to us. We're ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. As though God were pleading to us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We then, as workers, it's chapter 6, we then, as workers together, it's a one another ministry, we're working together, we're ministering together, we're reconciling together. Why? Because we all have this same treasure in earthen vessels. We have different gifts, we have different talents, we have different abilities, but we all become the body and give Christ a place to be the head to use. I was talking with my son this morning, he gave me a crazy insight that when Jesus is talking about uh, uh, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, was he referring to the body of Christ? 
He wasn't looking for an earthly home. He was looking for a spiritual home. He was looking for spiritual people to believe in him and him be the head. He could lay his head in the church and be the power over us and lead us out to as ambassadors to reconcile others to him. So he was building a spiritual house. He wasn't looking for a temporal home. He was looking for a spiritual house. But he used those type of analogies that birds have nests, foxes have their little holes in their dens. But where's the son of man's house at? See, Israel had rejected him. That was the house. That was his people. So will the church do the same? Look, chapter 6. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Listen, because that's who he's speaking to. It's people that say, we believe in Jesus. It's the church at Corinth. But we heard some other stuff from some other guys that came after you, Paul. And we don't think that you're supposed to be telling us this stuff, Paul. We don't think you're as much as you thought you were. And he's having to defend himself. Because these false teachers come in behind Paul and try to act like they had something more. And because Paul was so humble and Paul wasn't forceful and Paul wasn't doing it the way they were doing it. So that's what he's talking about with all this. We got this, this treasure in earth and vessels. We're not trying to make the excellency of the power in us. It's the excellency of the power of God and not of us. And that should show clearly we're not rock star pastors. We're not looking to be the popular person. We're looking to plead with you to be reconciled with God so that you'll go out and plead with others to be reconciled with God. And so the veil, when the veil is taken away, that's what we begin to do. We begin to allow the, allow the Spirit to lead our life. We understand that we're new creations. We understand what God has done. And it's not about our church. It's not about us. It's not about me getting this or you getting this. It's about us. And the, and the flesh is dead. And it's all about the spiritual life now. And we're not regarding anyone. And he goes back. And if you go back to what we were looking at the ministry, for one, since we have this ministry, really we have this ministry? Listen, all of us have a ministry. Nobody in the body of Christ is called to be a pew center. There's a ministry that every one of us are supposed to be serving. It's a, it's a word for service. It's the word for witnessing. It's a word for the service of a Christian. It's an office that you have as a Christian. Again, because we're all ambassadors trying to reconcile those that are still dead to life. We're trying to reconcile them and let them know that somebody paid for their sin and they don't have to go to hell. So he says this. For one, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy... We, as being everyone who believes and has this ministry and accepts it, and the veil's taken away. I'm not going to go through all of three, but that's what he's talking about. You can read it later. We do not lose heart. Listen to me. Things can get hard. Think how hard they were on Paul. Think how hard it was. They're walking. They're, they're traveling. They're, they're being beaten. They're shipwrecked. And he goes through his um, testimony in chapter 12, I think, of the things that he that he worked himself up in such a, he's trying to plead with them and go to this, and he does it for all these chapters, and by the time he gets to 12, 
he begins to give his testimony. He didn't even want to boast in himself. He didn't want to talk about what God had done in his life and about how he was beaten to death and it went into the third heaven and, and he knows a man that had all these revelations and he's starting to talk about that. And he says, now look, he got me boasting about me, but I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Jesus. And we might even go look at it in a, in a, in a little bit, but I'm not sure yet what God's going to do here. Uh, so he says, we have received mercy. We do not lose heart. Listen, if you've received this ministry, if you've received mercy from God, and of course we're saved by mercy. Do you guys know that? Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So he gives us the Spirit. He seals us. He puts that treasure in earthen vessels. And then it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, so everything's done. Somebody said, what was it? Somebody said they could change, or they could um, tell you the difference between uh, all false religions and the gospel in one word. Done. Finished. See, all the other cults, they go, do, 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 go, 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 get, 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 be, 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 and work, work, work. But Jesus says it's finished. To tell us that. Finished. Believe that, and now you become an ambassador. Now the Spirit puts this treasure in earthen vessels and sends you out to plead with others. Not yell, not badger, not beat, not, not plead, urge, encourage. How do you do it? You just tell them the truth, and you leave that between them and the Spirit. You leave that between them and God. So he says, because we've received mercy, do not we do not lose heart. And I would tell you, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we are going to reap if we do not lose heart. It's impossible not to reap. That fruit will be there because of Christ. He's defeated everything. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Don't lose heart. Don't start listening to the lies of the world. Get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Trust in God. Our hope, you know, so I keep saying that. I think we're at the end of the age. I think there's not going to be a revival. I think if it's a revival, there's going to be a false revival with a <laughs> false prophet, which ties up to end-time theology, that there has to be a false Christ, antichrist. There has to be a false prophet, anti-prophet, not a true prophet that's foretelling truth, but he's foretelling lies, and that would bring a false revival. Do you see what I'm saying? And I keep saying that. People go, well, where's the hope in that? The hope is that we're at the end of the age and we know that Jesus is coming and we're going to be with him soon. That doesn't give us hope that God is fulfilling all that he said and he's getting ready to wrap this thing up and put a bow on it. That's hope. It's like waiting for Christmas and then you, you know, it's still, uh, what? Thanksgiving hasn't even happened and I'm waiting for Christmas. But then think about it, Christmas Eve. All right, kids, go to bed and we open presents in the morning. That's where we're at. It's there. It's here. We're seeing it. And people are going, there's no hope in that. Are you kidding me? That's, that, that, that's the hope for even saints that went before us. You know, the saints that are underneath the throne of God, they go, how long? And he goes, just a little while longer, and then we will avenge all the blood of the saints, all, all the way back to righteous uh, 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 Abel, where Cain killed the first person, the murderer from the beginning that the devil was. 
That's the hope that we're talking about. That's what all of creation is waiting for, is the redemption completely to be finished. And they go, where's the hope at in that if you tell people where it? Are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's what my hope is at. My hope is not in the government. My hope is not in making a new bracelet, WWDTW, or WWDTD. What would Donald Trump do? My hope is not in Donald Trump and what he might do if he becomes president again. My hope is in my Lord and Savior taking me home. We're putting a sickle in in the harvest. And some people are hoping in what the next president will do. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I am not going to be happy if, if I don't have food on the table to feed my grandkids. But all these lies about the supply chain and all this falseness that's going on to create disaster on purpose so that we will need a false savior to come and save us. I already have a savior. I'm not looking for a savior. I don't need a savior. I have one. Jesus the Christ. He's my hope. He's coming soon. And I pray that you're in the scriptures and you see that he's coming soon by the very things that are going on. As someone has said, it's not the signs of the time. It's the time of the signs. There's so many signs that we are in the last milliseconds that if you can't see this stuff, like, like flee in Afghanistan so that the whole balance of power will change in the Middle East so that Ezekiel's war can happen. That's my hope. I'm looking at it on the pages of Scripture saying, wow, Jesus is coming soon. And now I need to be reminded to wake up because I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. I have this gospel. I have this good news. I have this message for people that are dying still and they're lost. And you know what people want us to do? They want us to shut up still. I want to talk more. I want to talk about this scriptures more, about Jesus more, about this treasure that is deep in us because of what he has done. We have a ministry of reconciliation because we're supposed to be reconciling the world. How do we do it? We just tell them what the Bible says. If you, and if they can't see it, their eyes are veiled. Well, what's that mean, Greg? Well, he says right here, and, and I'm ahead of myself, but even if our gospel is hid, if it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are lost, those who are dying. See, if they can't see what's going on, then are they perishing? Are they dying? Are they lost? Does the devil have their eyes blinded? I want to know. That's what the Bible says. Because he says, in Christ... The veil is removed. Now you can see life. Now you can see truth. And if we're not seeing what's going on, then we should cry out to God and say, I want to see. I want to know. I don't want to regard stuff as flesh and blood. I want to see the spiritual realm. I want to see the spiritual ramifications. I want to speak to people and touch them where they will believe what the Spirit says to the church. That's what I want to do. I want to understand all of that. Since the Bible says we can I want everything that God has given me. And I don't want to keep my own mind hidden. Look, so what do we do? We need to, verse 2. But we renounce the hidden things of shame. This is what people who have come and turned to the Lord. And their face has been unveiled. And now they're free in Christ. He's talking about all these things in chapter 3. Now we're being transformed into the image of God from glory to glory. Just as the spirit of the Lord tells us and is doing. 
That's 3.18. We have this ministry of reconciliation. We've received mercy. We don't have to lose heart. Now what do we do? We begin to renounce. What's that say? It means to uh, disown. To say off for oneself. We say, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation. That's not me. We renounce these hidden things. We, we live in, in the light as he is in the light. We're not fellowshipping in darkness. No walk, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. In other words, we're supposed to be telling people the truth, but we're not doing it to twist it to make them follow us. We want them to see Christ. Many ministries, many people, they do it to make them follow a movement. And, and they twist the word of God and they come up with these things. We want them to follow Christ. I don't care what church they go to if they're following Christ. If it's really Christ they're following, they, they are the church. It doesn't matter what building they go to on Sunday, they, who they are talking about. They need to get in the word of God and see Christ. It's, it, the veil is removed when one turns to the Lord. He said in 3.16. And then they, if they do turn to the Lord truly, they're going to begin to renounce the hidden things of shame, dishonesty, disgrace. The hidden things is the cryptos. It means those things hidden and secretly concealed. See, when the light shines in your darkness, you begin to confess those things to God. You begin to renounce them and you get rid of the cryptos. And there's no more hidden life. There's no more secret life. You live in the light. You walk in the light. And then we have fellowship of one another, First John tells us, when we walk in the light. We're not handling the word of God in some type of a, a, a deceitful way. That means a, an adulterated way. But by manifestation, expression, uh, uh, by, by exhibition of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, they see us. Their moral conscience sees what we're doing. We're not hidden. And, that's the, and you can't, listen, you can't be hidden in your house hiding under uh, quarantine and be a witness of what Christ is doing in your life. You have to be out there Commending your walk, commending what you're doing, commending how you're living, commending the power of God in your life to people to see that you're no longer the way you were, but you've renounced these things. Now there's a newness going on. Witnessing is an open thing of words, but it's also a life thing of action. And so when a man sees your life has changed, when there's a witness, not listen, a testimony of what God has done, not a bragamony. A lot of people start a bragamony. They want to talk about what they used to be and brag about what they used to do and brag about how much dope they used to sell, brag about how much money they used to have. Listen, it's about what Christ has done, not what you used to do. It's about what Christ has delivered you from, not what you used to do. So we want to stay focused on what Christ has done. But we also want them to see it. But even if our gospel is hid, it is hid from those who are lost, King James, perishing, new King James. 
Well, well, what do you mean? Verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. God allows the God of this age to blind them. But notice why it is. Who do not believe. Listen to me. Who do not believe. It's the word pistio. To entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ. Listen. When, when we go out and we share the truth. And people hear the truth. And they do not believe. It's because the God of this age has blinded them. But it's their choice. Listen, when a person wants, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe in God. You know why? Because you want to stay in your sin. You want to keep doing what you're doing. You don't want to renounce the hidden things that are in your life. You don't want to trust God for salvation. And, and it's because you're following the devil. And, and you continue to listen to the devil. He's blinded you because you think it's okay to keep doing what you're doing. So therefore, you do not believe what God says that he would set you free. That's what he's saying here. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the icon, the image of God, should shine on them. Listen, if we believe that light shines into the darkness, if we believe the image of God shines on you, and he begins to sanctify you, if we would believe, because belief doesn't stop with just believing Christ, but there's, the faith is a constancy. A walk of faith is a constancy in trusting Him, a constancy in believing Him, a constantly in trusting Him for everything that pertains to life and godliness. And He continues to shine on you. He continues to convict you. He continues to transform you. For we do not preach ourselves. Listen, this is Him defending Him. I'm not preaching Paul says, I'm not preaching that I used to sit underneath uh, Gamaliel. I'm not preaching that I used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. We're preaching Christ, who is the image, or excuse me, Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, doulos, that's a voluntary servant, for Jesus' sake, not for their own sake. Now look how he defends it. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Remember that? He said, let there be light in creation. He's pointing to which God he's talking about, the creator, who has shown in his, excuse me, who has shown in our hearts to give the light, what's he, what's he comparing there? Of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, that's who the Holy Spirit wants to point out. But look, he says this, here's the creation. How did you become a new creation? He'll get to that point. God spoke and said, let there be light. And he commanded light into the darkness when he created, right? Now he does it. When you believe in Jesus, he commands light to shine in your darkness onto the dark recesses of our heart. That's the God we're serving. And he removes the darkness from us. That's a process. That's something that's ongoing, positionally finished, practically doing it because of the precious blood of Jesus. He commanded light to shine in the darkness in creation and in recreating you and giving you new life, he shines the, the light of the gospel and the knowledge of who Christ is into your heart. 
And it's amazing that that's the, the face, the face of Jesus Christ. And you can see him everywhere in the scriptures. You can see his character, his nature, his heart, his love, his mercy, his grace, his glory. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. See, it's amazing when, when we have it in clay pots that that Holy Spirit can shine through us through our brokenness, through the cracks, through the chips, through all the pain and suffering, through whatever's been in your life that the devil tried to destroy you. Now the Holy Spirit can take that and shine that light out of what used to be darkness into the darkness of somebody else's life. See, once again, he wants a body to go and plead and shine that light on others. Oh, I read this. Where did I read this at? It's, it's, a, it's a, an amazing quote. Um... That sheep beget sheep. Not shepherds. See, Jesus is the shepherd who directs the sheep. He's the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. But he doesn't beget sheep. Sheep beget sheep. And that's why he sent us out to shine the light on others. His light on others. So that they can become. And that's, how, that's what disciple. I mean, that's what salvation is about. Being an ambassador is about. The sheep, healthy sheep, will go out and share the gospel so that other sheep can be begotten and then be discipled and become into the image of Christ. And that's an amazing thing. He's the shepherd, but he's not the one begetting the sheep, although we do know that he gives life, not me. When I speak life to them, when you speak life to them, when you share Jesus, when you walk in the newness of life, they can become thirsty, and then because of sheep, sheep beget sheep. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. How do you become healthy? You get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. You learn what this stuff is. You understand that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us, and that he's placed everything in us in these, in these fragile bodies that are broken, that still sin, that falls short of the glory of God still, that we mess up, but he still entrusts us with this great treasure of his son and the gospel message. And all we have to do is cast it out and people will see it and then they can come to salvation. But it's not of us. And, and, and many people say, but it's so hard. But it's so hard, Greg, and this is going on, and that's going on, and COVID, and there's not enough food, and the supply chains, and the boats, and, and the whole world's gone crazy. Can you imagine how crazy it was then compared to now? Look what he says in verse 8, but we are hard-pressed on every side. Do I have this here? Yeah, I have it somewhere here. Hard-pressed, troubled in the King James. It means to crowd out, to have tribulation, to have suffering. But he says this, they're not crushed. We're not distressed. We're troubled, but we're not distressed, King James. Hard-pressed, not crushed. See, all this, all this stuff is going on, but we're not crushed because we have a Savior. We know the truth. And so did Paul. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Sometimes we go, how are we going to get away with this? How are we going to get out of this? That's perplexed. I don't know what's going to happen. 
I'm perplexed at what's going on in many of these things. But I'm not in despair. Why? Because I know Christ is the answer. I'm not in despair because I know he's got me. I'm not in despair because I know he'll never leave me. He's always going to be there to provide for me. Even in death, he comes to take me home to be with him forever. And that's the finish line. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. To be absent from the body, to be present with him. Look what he says. They are, verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted means to flee, to make, to run, uh, to press, or to pursue. But they're not forsaken. Because Christ is not going to leave him behind. And that's what that word means, is to be left behind. We're not forsaken. He says to go and make this. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll not leave you nor forsake you. I added those words in there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You understand that. So even in persecution, because persecution might come at a strong pace in America. We are being made abhorrent. It's the church that's being abhorrent to the rest of the world. It's actually coming across. If you haven't seen it, then you don't understand what's going on. We are going to be persecuted. And the only way we will escape persecution that becomes violent in America is if Jesus takes us home in the rapture of the church. I believe he's going to take us out. I'm not going to guarantee you we won't go through serious persecution. We're not appointed for his wrath, but we could go through persecution from the world. Many saints are right now, and many saints have in the past. Paul did. Persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, cast down, but not destroyed. It means to throw down. Think about it. They cast him down outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. But he wasn't destroyed. He wasn't lost. None lost except for the son of perdition. Of all you gave me, Father, none is lost except for the son of perdition. So all of us know that we're going to make it to heaven if we believe in Jesus Christ. But I believe it's a race we have to be running. We cannot just say, I'm done and get out of the race. We can't say, I said a prayer and I'm okay. I believe that we need to be abiding in the vine. I and you and you and me. I believe that's all part of the Christian walk. We don't just say, well, I said a prayer and I go to church. No, we have to enter in and understand these truths that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that God entrusts us with his gospel message to tell others in these frail vessels that are going to fall apart. They do hurt. They do break. They are going to die. They are tense. It's an earthly house. And if they do and when they do, look what he says in 5. For we know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked 
For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, really, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 5.8 We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, so no matter what goes on, we can trust that God has got us. We can be confident that he's going to take us home. That even in persecution, we will not be destroyed. We will not be forsaken. We can trust him and go and speak boldly and have the ministry of reconciliation in a bold way, no matter what other people are saying. We can tell them to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Do you understand the treasure that God has placed in your earthen vessel, in your clay vessel that you have, this fragile body that we have? Do you understand what that treasure is? Have you sought it out? Are you seeking the knowledge of God? Are you seeking your gifts and talents and ability? Are you looking to find out what he wants you to do. Are you involved in this ministry of reconciliation? Can people see that the power is from God and not from you? Did I ever tell you what was excellency? Excellency, the King James. Where is that? Oh, there it is. The Excellency. A throwing beyond others. That's interesting. The abundance beyond measure. The preeminence. We have the preeminence of the power of God in us. Because why? All authority has been given. Christ is the head of all principalities and power. Christ has preeminence over everything. And he's given us this same excellency to go when he commands us to go. The excellency. Your excellency, we would say to him, because he's king of kings and lord of lords. And he has all power and authority. And we want that power to be of God. And he's already sent us. And he's already called us to live this life for him. No matter what goes on. He says in 4.13. I'm going to leave some out. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Isn't that pretty amazing? Cause you to be thankful? Okay, we're going to slow down here. What treasure is in you? What's in your earthen vessel? 
It's a good question to ask. What are you treasuring? What are you thinking you can trust in? What is in your earthen vessel right now? Because if it's something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ who bought us with his precious blood, something else is your treasure, we need to wake up at the heart of our Christian walk and to know it's only the gospel truth. That's our riches. That's our glory. That's our inheritance. That's the thing we should be treasuring. It's what's been deposited in our heart. And the way we learn about it and the knowledge of it and see it is spending time with God in the word, prayer, and fellowship. And, I, and I, you know, we need to know that. And I, and I was reminded of it this week is that, you know, we have this written word, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And until about 400 years ago, when was it 400 years ago? About 400 years ago, um, they're really, things were not written. They were all by word of mouth. You would repeat them to people. And that's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why, and, and we may lose the Bible soon. That's why we need to be able to learn it, to, to, to know it, to be able to tell others about it. I'm trying to look at it. I have it here. The Gutenberg Press. Johann Gutenberg. Oh, yeah, it's about 500, 600 years ago now, around the late 1430s, because they used to do it with, like, they would carve stuff in wood, and they put print stuff and everything, and then he'd come up with the Gutenberg press, and then they began to print the Bible, and then we have the written word, so it's probably been about 600 years now when you begin to think about that is that everything was by word. I mean, all they had was scribes. They would lock them in rooms and they would print and they would reprint and reprint and rewrite Bibles or rewrite what they wanted to have in mass or everything had to be heralded. That's why it's a Caruso that we publish divine truth. We talk about it publishing and we think, oh yeah, the newspaper's coming out or we get another Bible. But that publish it meant to herald divine truth by speaking. And then faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's still the main way we should be getting the word of God out. Because when they hear it from you, when they see it in your life, when you speak it to their consciousness, now they have to decide, do I believe that or not? Because now this Holy Spirit can use that to convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. So, thus... We have this treasure in earthen vessels uh, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And no matter what is going on, we should be sharing it with others. We should be learning to share it with the people closest to us. Walk it out in front of others, but looking for opportunity in the Holy Spirit to speak it to people's conscience. No matter what they believe. See, they want to talk to you about the football game. They want to talk to you about racism. They want to talk to you about defunding the police. They want to talk to you about all the stuff going on, about COVID. But what is the message the church has been given as an ambassador? Be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God. And, and that's what we should be talking about. In every situation, we should have a heart because of this, earth, this treasure in the earthen vessels. We should be looking for how we can bring up Jesus Christ. We don't have to know all the answers. We have to trust 
that the power is of God and not of us. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. It's not of you. Ask God to give you a heart to do it and go do it. Spend time with him. I was thinking about it in prayer because I always say that prayer meeting is our most important meeting because we're learning dependency with God. Think about it in the Old Testament. The prophets, who all they did, the prophets, they do the same thing we do. They foretold the word of God. But wait a minute, there was no written word. They had to go to God, get before God, and pray and spend time with God in a relationship, and God would say, go tell that evil king. And they'd be like, huh? They had to trust God that the excellency of the power was of him, and that he called them. So you have to have that relationship and know that you are serving God. And it's the same thing now, except we have 66 books they give us testimony of what God always done. Testimony to see his faithfulness, to see his power, to see his glory, to see what's coming. And now we should be foretelling that. Just as he said, Paul said in 14.1 of 1 Corinthians, I wish that you all prophesy. Not speak in tongues, prophesy. Because what's the most important thing? Foretell the word of God to the conscience of people so that when they are struck with it, they have to decide what they're going to do with it. I love talking to people, and I just act like they're Christians. I just act like they already know. And I just say, well, you know the Bible says. I just act like they know. Then they don't feel so, but they have to, have to deal with that truth, though. That's why you and I need to learn this so much. Let's see. Next week's scripture Philippians 4, we're going to do a little section here. We're going to start with Philippians 4, 4. Where's that at? Is that in the New Testament? Philippians, wait a minute. Colossians, Philippians, there is a Philippians, Colossians. Anybody know? It's Philippians, Colossians, isn't it? I'm going the wrong way in my Bible because I get those mixed up all the time. 4-4. Four, four. Listen. Because we they, they want to say we don't have any hope. Well, where's the hope of preaching that, Greg? Rejoice always. Again, excuse me, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. My joy is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. And if he's coming quickly, I'm going to rejoice. He's getting ready to take us home. And we're going to be with him forever. Philippians 4.4. 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Even in the bad times. Again, I will say rejoice. Write that down. Memorize it. Prepare to talk about it next week or to rehearse it. Rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for placing such a treasure in these frail clay pots. Lord, we've been broken. We've been busted up. We've been through things. And we want your light to shine through the cracks, to shine out of us. Thank you that the excellence of the power is of you and not of us. Thank you that it's by your spirit, by your might. Thank you that it's not of us, Lord, because if it was of us, it would look so ugly. So we pray, Lord, that it would be beautiful in your sight. We pray, Lord, that people would become thirsty 
and desire to draw near and to know you because of the witness, because of the ambassadors that we are, because we've been spending time with you. Pour out your spirit upon us. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.